Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines and financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBury. I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. On today's episode, we'll start by talking about what is arguably the key theme in markets at the moment and one of the main causes of concern for some investors, and that is a recent increase witnessing global inflation. Inflation, which of course measures a change in price of goods and services over time, eased at the beginning of the pandemic last year in most nations. The strict lockdown measures enforced at the start of the crisis triggered a collapse in consumer spending, sending inflation down to around about zero in year-on-year terms in many developed countries. In the past few months, we have, however, seen signs of a sharp uptrend in prices as restrictions are eased and economies are reopened again. In the US, for instance, the headline rate of inflation jumped above 4% in April, its highest level since 2008, even on a month-on-month basis, which doesn't take into account the low base effect from the peak of the shutdowns last year. Prices rose by the most in 12 years. And we've seen similar trends elsewhere. Prices have risen relatively sharply in the likes of the UK, Canada, and even parts of Europe. And in fact, we look at the the G10 inflation surprise index from Citibank that has risen to just shy of its highest level since 2008 and raised expectations among some investors that we could see interest rate hikes from the G10 central banks sooner than previously anticipated. Uh, But what do you both think about this recent increase uh, in inflation? And how do you think the major central banks will respond? Um, I think that, uh, that the central banks have been a little bit too, uh, too uh, calm and relaxed about it. I think that uh, uh, they're looking into the rearview mirror where, in fact, uh, inflation has not been an issue for um, many years, at least 15, and in fact has been on a downward trend, long-term trend since uh, the, the early 80s. But uh, they're not taking into account su- sufficiently the, the massive change in the uh, in the macroeconomic backdrop, first of all, I mean, we've had over the last 20 to 30 years, uh, the process of globalization, the incorporation of the, uh, of the Chinese and to a lesser extent, the Eastern European workforce into the, uh, world labor market. That process is largely complete. And in fact, uh, with the latest tensions with China, uh, it seems to be going into reverse, if anything. So that's one, one, uh, uh, disinflationary force that has disappeared. And also the, uh, the, the change in attitude, the dramatic change in attitude itself from the central banks and monetary, uh, and fiscal, uh, authorities is, uh, is another disinflationary force that has disappeared and turned uh, full inflationary. So I think that we've been, uh, we've been, uh, banging on the table in, in this podcast for a while that, uh, that the markets and policymakers were too relaxed about inflation. And I think that the April number in the U.S., which was, was quite a shocker, is, uh, is a vindication of our point of view. Now, the question is, what happens over the next few months? Uh, do we go back to this? Uh, is, do, do the inflationary pressures turn out indeed to be uh, transitory or not? I, I'm skeptical. I think that, uh, that we're going to see inflation surprise to the upside for the next few months. Yeah, but even if this is not going to be transitory, we have to acknowledge that the inflation has actually been below the target in most of the developed world, especially in the United States uh, and the Eurozone. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no. If, you look, if you look at the rearview mirror, there's, there's, there's every reason for 
some yeah. banks to, to react in the way they are. It's very difficult to argue with them. I agree completely with you there. But the change in attitude itself uh, is, is a significant disinflationary force that disappears from a Federal Reserve that reacts to inflation as it used to, to a Federal Reserve that tells you openly, hey, uh, we don't care if inflation shoots up because we're pretty sure that it's going to go away. That is a massive change. That is a, an inflationary, that's a disinflationary force, the Fed, that not, has not become inflationary. That's what I'm saying. Yes, but, yes, but uh, we have to ask ourselves whether this is not something that we actually would want. So the central bank right now, they have a more, more focus on the labor market, more focus on growth, and we have significant uh, risks down the road. So I think that being cautious right now, not overreacting to any significant right bumps in inflation at this point, when the labor markets are not tight, uh, I think is uh, quite warranted. And I frankly think that there is uh, much more that they would be risking uh, if they were to uh, tighten monetary policy at this point or in the near uh, point in the future, at least looking at the major countries, because in some emerging market countries, we are already seeing some uh, tightening in monetary policy. Okay, it could, it could, I agree that it could well be the right thing to do. But in terms of what it does for inflation going forward, I think that uh, the market is the, the, the market is significantly underestimating the chances of a sustained bout of inflation. And uh, in terms of the impact of the currency market, which is, I think, that we're interested in ultimately, it's hard to gauge because there's, there's relatively little historical precedent over the last 40 years for a, outburst, a burst of inflation coming out of a recession, which is the, uh, the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, clearly, the initial reaction, the last two reports, especially the, the April inflation report, but also the March inflation report in the U.S. also supported the upside somewhat. This, the reaction from the market from the of the dollar to this inflation early inflation scare has been negative. So clearly, the, it seems like currency markets uh, are not and, and currency investors are not do not like to see this this should this this uh, strong inflation numbers in the context of very low rates. So it seems to be a negative for the U.S. dollar. Yes, for the U.S. dollar, definitely. But this is also uh, quite in line with what we are thinking regarding the emerging markets, right? The stable rates in the United States are quite positive for the EM right now, especially if we are going to see interest rate hikes from those EM countries themselves. And we, we are starting to see that in many places. So you're saying that uh, you agree that this is a negative for the dollar, but this, this inflationary environment with increasing prices in commodities is, is particularly positive for emerging market currencies. Definitely. Stable U.S. rates, higher commodity prices and potential or even actual hikes in the EM uh, are, are things that I think uh, should work well for the EM currencies in general. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to talk about that, that uh, guys. I think, I think my, my view is really I think central banks sort of right to look through temporary inflation uh, at the moment for the time being, at least, if it does prove temporary. I, I think central banks have been flagging it for a while that we will see the possibility of higher inflation in the coming months. And that's exactly what we, we've been guessing. Obviously, it's been slightly higher than expected, particularly in the US. Um, but I think there's reason to suggest that it will prove temporary. Um, now, of course, look, from, from one point of view, this reopening of economies, this surge in, in demand, um, pent up demand among households uh, has driven prices higher, but also it's been partly 
I think due to supply concerns, supply issues, um, now that economies are being re- reopened again, getting supply back up to the levels it was prior to the pandemic is not going to happen overnight. If we look at supply of either goods or services, if you look at sort of restaurants, cinemas, hotels, for instance, opening at reduced capacity, for instance. I think that once supply catches up um, with booming demand uh, in the next few months, I think it stands to reason we may start seeing an easing in inflation uh, in the next few months. I think up until we see evidence to the contrary, I think the central banks will continue to to stress that they'll look through temporary inflation spikes. But but I certainly agree the next sort of two, three, four months or so, these inflation prints will be just about the most important economic data releases uh, on the calendar. Um, I, I would agree with that. I think that uh, that the reaction of the central banks is going to be to, to delay hikes as much as uh, they possibly can. So we're going to see, I think we're going to see sustained uh, positive surprises in inflation over the next few months. Uh, I am not quite so certain that... Uh, it's going to be a one-off and then we go back to the way it used to be with inflation at or below targets. I think that, again, um, everybody has gotten a lot more comfortable with inflation. And I think inflation is going to, over the next five years, is going to be average more than the targets of uh, the various central banks. But I do agree that uh, central banks are going to delay as much as they can uh, coming out of uh, the zero percent, zero negative interest rate policies. Okay, great. I think we'll move on to our, our second main topic now, which will focus on the rather impressive business activity data we've received out of the G3 nations last week. Um, now, we've talked about the, the business activity PMIs on the podcast before, but just as a recap, these indices are leading indicators of economic activity, and they give us a, a decent barometer as to how well the services and manufacturing sectors of an economy are performing. Any levels above 50 represents expansion, whereas any level below represents contraction. Uh, again, as with inflation, these indicators uh, fell sharply at the, the start of the pandemic, but have risen uh, sharply in recent months as lockdown measures are unwound. Uh, the Composite Index, which is our weighted average of the two industries, jumped to a record high in the US in May, 68.1, and in the UK at 62. Even in the Eurozone, where restrictions have been unwound slightly more gradually, this index rose to its highest level since early 2018 at 56.9. The markets have greeted the data in a generally positive fashion, given that it bodes well for continued expansion in the US and a return to growth in both the UK and the Eurozone in the second quarter, following contractions at the start of the year. So over to you both, what do you think the data tells us about the global economy and, and what impact do you think it could have um, on FX during the remainder of the year? Um, again, this is, uh, I think that we're going to continue to see positive surprises. I think that, uh, that most economists are underestimating the extent to which consumers are both flush with cash from the various uh, income support uh, programs uh, in, 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 in all main economic areas, uh, but they're also underestimating the extent to which uh, there's pent-up demand, the extent to which people's consumption has been repressed uh, for many, many years, especially when it comes to consumption of services for many, many months. And uh, we're going to have uh, a... I, I think that when the lockdowns are lifted, what you're seeing is demand uh, increasing much faster than supply can respond to it. And I think that the weakness that we saw, for instance, in, in the payroll 
uh, in the job market report out of uh, the U.S. in April has more to do with, with the inability of supply to find enough workers to respond to demand than with demand weakness. Uh, because if you see, if you look at other, other, other data points like job openings that are all-time records. So I think that we are going to see supply expansion lagging demand uh, because in addition to this, to this, uh, this uh, lag and this difficulty in finding workers that perhaps have become detached from the companies, uh, you're having supply chain issues all down the down the line into uh, into uh, Asian factories. So I think we're we're in for some pretty rough months in terms of uh, the how we're going to ration the uh, limited uh, supply and the limited ability to expand supply very quickly uh, relative to the exploding demand. Yeah, I generally agree. I think that what we saw in the past few months was a, a big expansion in manufacturing. Uh, and what we are about to see uh, and what we are seeing, actually, is the services sector uh, catching up uh, as the economy uh, reopens again. Uh, and I think that uh, the focus should be uh, primarily on the service sector. And this should be a, a good indicator of uh, how the demand is, uh, how the demand is doing. Uh, however, with so many uh, savings uh, from the, from the past months of the recession and inability to spend, uh, I'm pretty confident that we have entered a uh, expansion phase uh, in the second quarter, practically everywhere in many economies. Well, in, at least in the Eurozone. Uh, right now, which has been lagging, uh, for instance, the US uh, for some time. Uh, and that uh, we are about to see a continuation of that. So a increase in the activity in the services sector is probably on the card. But uh, on the manufacturing front, uh, we may see uh, some limitations uh, that are related with uh, a, a set of structural issues. So uh, troubles with getting a, a supply uh, of parts, troubles with getting labor and things like that, uh, which may limit uh, to what extent the activity in the sector uh, can, uh, can be pushed up. I agree. Yeah, well, I, th I think this data it largely confirms the view that we've had for a little while on the global economy, and we've probably mentioned on this podcast a number of times um, that we're on course for a, a pretty strong rebound in, in global economic activity uh, this year. Certainly, I think in the second half of this year, um, as restrictions uh, are eased, um, as we mentioned uh, already, central banks, governments uh, have maintained a very accommodative. Policy stance, jobs and incomes have been well supported. Um, and then, as we, again, as you said, there's lots of pent up demand among consumers. And I think people on the whole are, are pretty desperate to get out and about, back to normal, whether that be going to restaurants, pubs, sporting events, uh, and so on. And with the, the vaccines proving as effective, successful uh, as they have been, I, I think that people now have more confidence in order to, to, to go out and do those things. So, I think yeah, the PMI data points to a continued strong recovery in the global economy, um, strong rebound, particularly in the second half of the year, I, I would think. Um, should be good for risk appetite, emerging market uh, currencies should benefit. And I think negative, as we mentioned, for the safe havens, the US dollar um, being one of those. We're going to end now with our spotlight currency section, uh, which this week is going to focus on the currencies of Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, now, these currencies have been among the better performing EM currencies in the world in the past uh, sort of week or so. Central banks there have taken on a more hawkish policy stance with rate setters in the region 
indicating that they could soon raise interest rates in an attempt to rein in rising domestic prices. I think we'll start with you, Roman, as our, our resident CE expert. Give us, give us a quick overview, if you will, of, of the situation and what are your thoughts um, on what to expect in the coming weeks? Yes, yeah, so recently we saw a rather sharp rallies in the CE spectrum. Uh, among those uh, in the recent weeks, the one that has been performing the best was the Hungarian forint. And this has been linked particularly with one thing, uh, at least when it comes to forint, and it was monetary policy. So uh, we saw a, a rather sudden uh, shift in the monetary policy uh, stance of the central bank. It started to become uh, hawkish. Uh, and we basically got signals that uh, the monetary policy tightening, that interest rate hikes are going to start in June. Uh, we have this signal from a deputy governor, uh, I think around a week ago, uh, but earlier we had a, a significantly higher inflation uh, than expected. Uh, so this basically boosted the market expectations for hikes. Right now, the market is expecting around uh, two hikes uh, before the end of the year in, in Hungary. Uh, and I think that Hungarian foreign basically uh, catched up with uh, Czech Kruna, which has been uh, appreciating for a lot longer and to a lot uh, to, to a lot stronger extent, uh, in large part because the market was expecting interest rate hikes in Czechia. And I think that in Czechia, uh, we can also, uh, the market is also expecting two interest rate hikes at this point, two to three before the end of the year. Uh, and at least one hike has been confirmed officially by the central bank governor. So we can definitely uh, have a safe bet on Czech Republic and Hungary that they are going to raise interest rates uh, this year, uh, probably in the summer, well, most likely in the summer. Uh, when it comes to Poland, the situation is a bit different. Uh, the central bank uh, stance is a bit more dovish uh, than in Czechia and in Hungary. So we don't have an explicit uh, statement that uh, the rates are going to be increased. Uh, however, the market is also uh, started to uh, price in monetary policy tightening. It's betting on around one hike before the end of the year. Uh, however, I think that in terms of Poland, uh, the market uh, might be a little bit getting a little bit too ahead of themselves uh, because uh, the central bank's rhetoric hasn't really uh, matched uh, what's going on with uh, Czechia and Hungary. So I would be a bit, bit more cautious when it comes to the chances of interest rate hikes in Poland. I think that it's more likely that they're going to start in early 2022 when the MPC, most of the MPC is going to be replaced. Uh, however, I think that uh, there are pretty good reasons to rally uh, in uh, all of those currencies. And I think actually think that the Zloty might be the currency that is uh, the most undervalued uh, of the bunch right now. I, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, I'm going to defer to your expertise as to which one is, as to the relative ranking of the currencies. But in general, I think that uh, an economic area that is expected to rebound very well from the pandemic uh, that was already on a convergence path with uh, Central and Western Europe of strong growth, um, strong employment gains, and strong income gains. And now uh, central banks that are both willing and more importantly able to raise interest rates without worrying too much about the, uh, the negative consequences of increasing rates. That to me is, is, is difficult to find a more positive set of uh, factors in in any one currency right now. So I would, I think that I would be buying uh, any of those currencies with both hands at this point. 
And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebury's website, follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.